0: luminaries, talking to the brightest minds in 10.
1: And my hope is that we come together to share more than technology and expertise and products, but that we share a vision of a future that is better than today. A vision of technology as the driver of human progress.
0: Your hosts are Mark Schaefer and Douglas Carr. Hey everyone, this is Mark Schaefer with my co host Doug Carr, and we're about to bring you another episode of Luminaries, where we talk to the brightest minds in tech. You ready for this one, Doug? Uh, no, and yes. <laughs> You're confusing me.
1: <laughs> I'm a little excited. You're a little all. excited. Yes.
0: Well, we're going all virtual on you today. Yep. So, uh, Gosh, one of the transformational technologies that I've been following for a long time, been involved in it for a long time, is virtual reality and augmented reality. And we are going to talk to one of the industry leaders today. It's Roy Ashok. He is the founder of a company called Dacry. Roy, thank you for being with us and welcome to our show.
2: Well, thank you for having me on the show. It's exciting. So,
0: Daqri How'd you come up with that one? It's, it's D-A-Q-R-I, but that's not what the listeners are going <laughs> to hear, and that's not what they're thinking about right now.
2: It is pronounced that way, though. It's yeah. like a drink. Yeah. Um, uh, one of our co-founders actually came up with the name. I, I won't take any credit for this, Uh, and the way he thought about it back in the day was we wanted QR codes, and he was trying to do something with QR codes, and so we wanted the word QR, the the letters QR in the name, Uh uh, but couldn't find anything that sounded uh, easy to say and by multiple people with different accents. He really thought it through quite a bit. Uh Yeah. But he was quite the geek, Uh, so he wrote a script to go and look for domain names with the word QR in it and then came back with a whole list of them okay. and said so this sounded okay, so that's the story. We don't do anything with QR codes today, but that's how it's we It's a cool name. It's a cool well, name.
0: Well tell me, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into this yeah. fascinating industry. Yeah,
2: thank you, so I started at Qualcomm uh, actually prior to coming to Daiquiri about uh, 12 years. I've been immersed in AR and VR. I co-founded a project called Vuforia first which was an AR platform for mobile devices and tablets, long before we had ARKit and ARCore that you see yeah. pretty widely adopted today. Uh, and at that time, Daiquiri was a really small company, um, kind of working on applications for AR, not really sure what to do. And so I started advising them, um, trying to help them get their strategy together. Um, and then when I sold Vuforia, Because Qualcomm had no idea what to do with it at some point. Uh, And so Daiquiri was a very natural place for me to go and start working on that product. And then uh, eventually I took over as CEO.
0: Well, awesome. And it's uh, it's a fascinating product. We're going to put uh, relevant links to the product and to some uh, videos in the show notes. And you've got to check it out because it really is fascinating. And Roy, you've brought a set here that I'm seeing but our listeners aren't seeing because... It's a podcast, <laughs> but uh, but and and Roy, I've been actually working in this in this area for about two and a half years. I started on a project for the U.S. Air Force. They're looking at implementing augmented reality into the workplace, into some of their into some of their depots. And two and a half years ago, not that long ago, still wasn't ready, right. quite ready for prime time. Yeah. So, what are some
2: of the features of Dacry? Is it time yeah. for AR? Yeah. It is time for AR. is a short answer, and I want everybody to take that away. Um, even last year, from what I saw last year at Dell World, and I, I was on a panel. I was presenting a lot of customer data and seeing how people were uh, people were adopting AR. To where it is today, the market has moved tremendously. Uh, the technology is real. We've tested it out in environments where they have to be used. So greasy environments, factory floors, uh, by Workforces and workers on the, on on the shop floor, uh, so the tech is ready, and the challenge is really about seeing how widely this can be deployed in um, in the workforce. Two and a half years ago, none of this stuff was possible. Uh, what's, been wow. what's, yeah. been bi- what's been the big leap? What's been the big What's been the big leap in it's, the last year? It's not. When we think about augmented reality, right? there's, there's two pieces of technologies that have to come together. Uh, one is the displays and the optics because you have to see virtual content through, that, through those displays. And they have to be light enough, they have to be bright, there's got to be good color contrast. They have to have a wide field of view because otherwise if it's too narrow then you can't paint enough of the real world with virtual content. Uh, so that's one aspect of it. The other part is you need computer vision and this is very critical. Uh, Because computer vision is the fundamental building block for AR. It lets you, it gives the device the intelligence, really the sense of sight, actually, if you want to think about it like that. Like if you and I as human beings, we walk into a room, we know it's roughly rectangular, there's tables, there's chairs, there's surfaces, uh, there's people. There's a level of geometric and semantic understanding that these devices don't have. And so you have to give them that sense of sight, and that's what CV is. So the fundamental building block for AR is if you distill it to the simplest possible um, uh, atomic entity, if you will, is just knowing where you are in 3D space. This device needs to know precisely where it is, and if it, if you know that, along with the display technologies, you combine that in a very... Low latency system that renders all this content in the world, and that did not exist when I first.
1: I suppose uh, I'm a movie fan. I hope you yeah. are too. So yeah. you know, we look at the Matrix, and yeah. you, you plunge the thing into your head, and yeah. and get the the lessons for driving a helicopter, flying a helicopter to you. Yeah. Um, Daakri is a realization of this without 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 the brain without surgery. The brain. <laughs> But it really is that that now you could actually teach someone in real time to to do something complex.
2: Yeah, I, I you know, uh, that is a good analogy, although I'm, I, I will say we're, we're not plunging anything into anybody's neck. Yeah. Uh, we're very safe to use. Uh, we've got a lot of people using cool. them. I'm glad you cleared that up. <laughs> I was beginning to tremble here sitting next to you. But, but the broader theme there is actually what we call skill elevation, right? I'm elevating someone's skills. Yes. Uh, from uh, learning how to drive a car uh, to flying a helicopter. But, of course, for us, it's not driving a car. It's servicing a car and servicing a helicopter. And how do you do that? You wear these devices, and there's a system and an application in there that recognizes the car, that gives you step-by-step instructions on, okay, open up the hood, turn this valve here, unscrew this component. And it, it walks you through it. So as long as you have some basic skills on how to use tools, You're good to go. Then tomorrow, you have to service a Bell helicopter, for example, and then you wear the same glasses. You open up the Bell helicopter app, and it walks you through the same set of things. You don't necessarily have to have prior knowledge or domain knowledge. Of Of course, it's helpful. Now, of course, today we're not there that you can switch in such a binary fashion, but if you take it in a more realistic way, if you're on the shop floor, in you know, let's say you're in the, um, you know in a, in, in a production environment in a in a, in a in a in a car factory, there are three or four different things, a com- a pieces of equipment there that are very related, that you can service as opposed to having specialized labor there. So that's why I like to call it as you know you know, in this world of automation and where we're saying you know okay uh, we're trying to take humans out of the picture, these things actually make us in a sense um, superhuman yes. effectively. Yeah. yeah,
0: right. So um so, so interesting uh, because I just saw the, the incredible potential of this when I was working on these projects. But one of the issues, one, of course, was the technology wasn't quite ready. And there was also some issues of adoption. And so when I was looking through your website, I saw that you have a really impressive client list. So how is this – are you still getting into problems with uh, with adoption – um, people just don't want to wear these things or they feel threatened by these things somehow. How are you overcoming that? What's
2: What progress is being made on the human side of the yeah, equation? I think uh, it's, a, it's a really good point. When we first started off two, roughly two years ago with our development platforms, uh, there was a lot of skepticism about this. You could even call it um, people feel threatened by it in a sense. But you really have to engage stakeholders from day one. So the way we did it in the early days with, with some of our marquee customers was we went in there not just with management, but we actually worked with the folks on the on the floor, uh, the line workers, the field service technicians, the, the inspectors. We asked them what they do in their jobs and what their problems were and then we designed the solutions around them, right? I mean, it wasn't just another device that we say, hey, I'll go wear this, right. but it's like, okay, what problem are you really solving? So we got them going from day one, and as we took them through that journey, they realized that this is not a threat. This eh, makes them do their jobs faster, better, safer, as well, and um, once they saw the value of that thing, um, they were quickly they quickly became advocates for the technology. Uh, so that's a very interesting thing. It became, it went top down, but it's become a very bottoms up advocacy thing for us. Great, cool. Yeah.
0: I, I'm thinking that also more digital natives are entering the workforce, and they probably just think this is cool.
2: <laughs> there's some, there's some element of that. Actually, we uh, there's a construction project that we did with Mortensen Construction in Minnesota. This was about a year and a half ago, and. Um, it's really the first public demonstration of the technology. So we just... Nobody knew we were coming that day except the Modison project manager. We landed on site out there and we showed them the tech and we put it on uh, in everybody's head. There was, there was one person who was three weeks away from retirement. There was another person who was like in mid, mid-career. And there was a lady six months out of college, vocational school and sort of getting into the workforce, right? And the reactions across the board were positive. But... The person who was closer to retirement is like, I'm never going to trust that device. <laughs> 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 I'm set in my ways. I have my ways of doing things, and you know, I'm just going to do that. But the others could see that there's a there's sort of this a range of uh, okay, this is useful for for certain things versus oh, this is going to be the future kind of thing. And clearly, the younger ones who are entering the workforce more comfortable with technology, very comfortable with digital data, uh, wearing things, carrying multiple things. Uh, they were definitely more receptive. There's no doubt about it. But what surprised me was that everyone uh, saw the value and um, exceeded my expectations in terms of saying, okay, you know, we will give this a shot. So,
1: you know, in a prior life, I was in the the United States Navy. So, you're, you were talking about the, the Air Force. Um, in the Navy, obviously, you've got mission-critical equipment that has to be ready at a moment's notice, and it seems that a lot of the failure comes from human failure, yeah. not necessarily yeah. you know from um, – we have preventive maintenance and corrective maintenance systems set up. This seems like it's, it's a technology that could vastly increase the efficiency of – Machines like ships and and air airplanes and everything else is that is that you know the, are you already seeing that with some of the companies that you're working at or is that the end
2: goal? Well, let's use the U.S. Navy as an example because they are a customer of ours. Fantastic, uh, uh, and they're actually down where I live in San Diego. Um, the um, the use cases that you just described, the sort of the making the ship itself much more productive or, or, or more efficient, that's still a little more of an advanced use case. Where we see the right mix, uh, right uh, position for AR is where you have these complex tasks that you perform on very high-value assets, and a ship is a high-value asset. Absolutely, yeah. And there's lots of complex, almost chronic tasks that you do on them, right, again and again and again. And you always make mistakes on those tasks because they're too complex for any one person to do it. Um, So the Navy recognizes that, and they've been trying... Getting the ship ready for a uh, for a mission. How long does it take to turn it around when it comes back? Simple things like you know, you, people move things around, right, right. And how do you get it back to an operational readiness? So, in our device, you'll notice there's a whole bunch of cameras in there. So one of the advantages of those cameras is actually you can capture the world in 3D, very detailed, photorealistic uh, models. And so one of the one of the tests that the Navy is doing right now, actually just started this week, is um, they want to capture the interiors of the ship in 3D, at least for certain rooms, uh, before it goes out on a mission, and then when it comes back from the mission, and then you see Compare. the differences, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and you see where things are moved, and so you can quickly go find these things. And it's such a simple use case, but yeah. very, very powerful in its value, um, and so they see the early tests are pretty, pretty solid, and so they're looking to advance this, uh, this kind of technology. The other thing is, you know, there's a uh the beamer lab down there has done this uh, project where they show how you can avoid uh, friendly fire incidents so situational awareness right on a ship yep. and simple things like somebody wearing the glasses um the gunner basically and and in their field of view showing where to shoot and where not to shoot so yeah. you know i can't put a price tag on something like that right yeah
1: where before it was just a a button friend or friend that's right yeah yeah, yeah. Ooh,
2: yeah. Interesting.
0: One of the things that is always so so fascinating to me, talking about emerging technologies like this, that there's always some like, really nice surprises. And so what we've talked about so far, these use cases where, okay, you know, you use this wrench, and you turn it that many yeah. times, you know, put that hammer back where it belonged. I mean, those are some of the historical, easy, low hanging fruit use cases. As you get into this, I'm sure you've had to see ideas that people have to apply this, that go, oh, wow, we never even thought of that. Maybe even you're starting to think about some consumer applications. What, what are some things that have like, surprised and delighted you about how people are starting to use these
2: devices? Surprised, definitely. (laughs) Delighted is more, (laughs) I'm not sure. I think think what I've seen, uh, being in this space, uh, you know, and I- We're gonna hear some good stories here, folks. I've been here too long, I guess, in some senses, but what I've realized is that uh, the most value is actually from the mundane tasks. Um, And it's, it's quite incredible. It's like, how do I do my job and then help me do my job better, right? As I'm doing it, so you use this. Uh, but the one that actually um, surprised me was the, the the value of this technology in compliance. Hmm. Uh, I always thought of you know I need something to repair. I need in, uh, I need information to repair something. You know, or I need to learn how to do something, and that makes sense. Like, uh, but in compliance, what what happens is you have field service technicians or inspectors going out and you know doing something chronic. They go every day, they inspect the wind turbine or, or every day they'll go out on a theme park ride for one of our customers. <laughs> yeah a big theme park operator. They go and they make sure that it's safe and they go and inspect everything. As humans, we miss spots and we get very uh, uh, set in our ways and we say, oh, there's probably not gonna be a problem there, let's skip that and so it is a fact. In pretty much every customer, the pr- biggest problem we have this in compliance. Is that they don't actually inspect everything. So de- a device like this, they started using it to force the inspectors to go and look at everything. S- simple. Yeah. Surprising. I was very surprised, in the, in, but hugely valuable.
1: Awesome. Great. That's incredible. You you said the term skill elevation before, and that and that piqued my interest because when I was doing research on this, one of the things that I I read all the time about how, you know, robots are going to take our jobs and and we're going to have a sedentary workforce that's not doing anything. DACA really opens up a window where you can provide more work to people, right?
2: Yeah, I I think it's uh, more the era, I think, the era of a very specialized worker in any one particular thing, especially on the line, is probably coming to an end, Uh, and and I, I'm not saying that to be provocative. I'm just saying that because I see a device like this, basically empowering more workers to do very diverse tasks and workflows. Um, AI is very interesting, um, and it, but you know to me that's a it's uh, you know we talked about it in the panel as well. Very one-dimensional. It is only in the digital domain. It works in digital information, and you provide it provides insights from that information. But with AR what you're doing is you're putting data in the real world in context of a machinery or a vehicle or a, or a facility. So suddenly the data is beginning to be related to real world, uh, uh, real world equipment, but physically in context. right? Um, now if you run AI systems on top of that, you now have the ability to control those machines Uh, in a very automated way, not in the traditional rules-based automation, but in in much more intelligent automation. However, at the end of the day, these are all designed to be very human-centric. I don't believe in a dystopian world where (laughs) the AI is everything. What I believe is that there is uh, human emotions and intelligence can never truly be mimicked in that way. Yes, there's probably some... Tasks that can uh, that will go away through you know right. uh, through to st- technology development, but that's part of the course that's happened for hundreds, thousands of years actually. Um, but I, I think AI will simply augment a human and serve as another way. There is something about us combining our emotional intelligence with just raw intelligence to make decisions that I don't think any machine can ever mimic. Mm. So. Uh,
0: that really leads me to the next question because I saw in, uh, in an interview that you did, I watched a video that you said that you're very uh, excited about AI in terms of how it's going to help the progress of your technology, the AR technology. Yeah. So how is AI and AR going to
2: merge and what's that gonna create for the world? We're used to thinking of this device as a consumer of information, right? I read it, I see data. But what it is, is it's actually a sensor. Uh, and the reason I say that is if you look at it, it's got a whole bunch of cameras on it, right? And so it's beginning to capture real-world data in a way that sensor, discrete sensors could never capture. Like if I put sensors on a machine somewhere, it's capturing very specific information about at a very specific point on that machine. So, for example, if there's a thermal sensor, it's saying here's the temperature of this valve uh, at this particular point in time. But a device like this is beginning to capture three-dimensional data. And so almost like every point on that machine is now a virtual sensor. And so, so that's the first part. Now what we're doing is effectively collecting data about the world around you, right. about the state of the world, and it's changing. That's raw material for AI. You need that to build a real AI system that actually gives you some decent insight about the state of your factory, about production, about safety situations. Maybe you're, um, maybe all your workers are wearing these glasses and uh, all the 3D, 3D data uh, is, is constantly going back to a system that's analyzing it and suddenly realizes that a pattern there that says, there is going to be a safety incident in Hall 3A let me start evacuating them right away and guide them to safety before it happens. Right? Mm. That's kind of really where you're, where you're going for. Wow, right? that <laughs> is so cool.
0: That's a really neat application. I love that. Yeah. So let me let me ask you a, a question about that because so it's not just projecting to the world, but you're collecting data from all around you, right? Yeah. Collecting and then interpreting. Mm-hmm. So how do you manage? security in an environment like that because you've yeah. got data flying all around like a plant location or a military installation so it's almost like you need like an
2: umbrella of security over all this data yeah. flying around our view is um we're not a consumer grade company so we don't uh, we don't process data for consumers um, and so we don't have anything of our own what we do is customers already process large amounts of data. They already have systems ins- uh, to handle this kind of uh, situation. So we work within those. So there are large automotive companies using our products today, where the data never leaves their network, or never leaves their data centers. It's, it now, we, we have no idea what it is. But we give them the tools to deploy these things on premise. So usually we work within those that environments, system, yeah. within those systems, uh, rather than going off and trying to invent something uh, completely new. In an enterprise, you know, you you can't do it all by yourself. You always partner um, and work within existing systems to make this uh, actually deployable,
1: yeah. We all know AR from picking our phone up, right? Yeah. And looking through uh, a camera. with Dakri's system, uh, and I wish people could see it. <laughs> so definitely go out there and yeah, watch the videos. check out the show notes. Yeah, um, but but you're doing the interpretation and tagging. Can you talk through the complexity of me just leaving a tag over a yeah. piece of equipment, and then someone else walking in and seeing that tag?
2: That sequence of events, and it's actually a very, one of the most common use cases in AR, but actually one of the most complex things to do. Right. Um, so let's 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 walk back from the user user experience. So let's say a user puts these glasses on. Right. The first thing the person has to know is this absolute location, which is I know exactly where I am in the room um, and orientation. So I need to know what I'm looking at. And when I say it's not general orientation, it's gonna be very, very precise, otherwise the tag appears in the wrong place. Right. Um, So the way you get, now you don't have GPS indoors, right? So you don't actually have absolute location. And so one of the ways we do absolute location is, We'll put a barcode at the entrance in a, in a known place. So as soon as the worker comes, they look at the barcode. It immediately orients and saying, this is where I'm looking at. Oh. And from that point onwards, I know precisely where you are in the room in absolute terms because I know where you are relative to the barcode. So that's the first thing. And then so the user wears this. He goes, he or she goes to wherever the machine is and says, okay, I want to place a tag here. Um, so then there's all the user experience that comes with it the UI that allows you to annotate in a hands-free way wow. to create the tag, place it, right all with head motion only. We, we, we actually don't use... Uh, we want your hands to be free so you can use actual tools. Uh, so, you gotta, so there's a lot of UX there that we've developed over time. Um, it's very intuitive actually, very simple and intuitive to place the tag there. Once you place the tag there, That has to be updated in a a server somewhere. So that's somewhat well-understood technology, so we use off-the-shelf systems for that. Once you do that, um, the next person who's supposed to service that piece of equipment has to get a notification saying, okay, here's where the tag is in this particular room, go grab it. Now that person can be in a hall somewhere very far away and wearing the glasses, and you can now, because you know where that person is as well, you can start giving them directions in the field of view with arrows painted on the ground and then direct them to the tag. Underlying all of this is what I talked about earlier, this like very, very optimized computer vision technologies around uh, positioning where you are, so visual inertial odometry is a technology. Uh, mapping, so we do three-dimensional mapping of the environment. We combine all of that so that the tag appears precisely where you intended for it to appear. Wow. All happening in real time. It's just that simple. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like making a it's just like baking a cake, folks. I put it simply, but there are lots of um, yeah much smarter people who just work like, on just it. Just like
0: making a daiquiri. <laughs> see how I just tied the ribbon on that, Roy. Just brought it back oh, to yeah, Roy. This has been amazing. Thank you so much, and. Uh, I'm sure our listeners are going to be so energized and inspired to learn more about what you're doing. So where on the web can they find more about you and the amazing things you're doing at Daquiri?
2: Start with our website, www.daquiri.com. That's D-A-Q-R-I. That's right.
0: D-A-Q-R-I. Well, thank you so much. And uh, this has just been a joy. And thank, thank you, you for uh, for listening, everyone. We always love bringing these stories to you, and we hope you'll uh, continue to join us on our adventures here on Luminaries as we talk to the brightest minds in tech. This is Mark Schaefer and Doug Carr saying goodbye for now, and we'll see you next time on Luminaries. Luminaries, talking to the brightest minds in tech, a podcast series from Dell Technologies.